I'll invite you to take a copy of the scripture and to turn it to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, um, there's red ones in the pew back, but in front of you. And uh, we're going to read a few verses there to illustrate, um, just as an illustration of uh, our theme this morning. We, as a church family, uh, over the spring have... Uh, been in a series uh, that we're calling The Great Exchange, where we are looking at um, the, the great themes of the Scripture, the great uh, themes of the Bible that, that really run um, like a thread all the way through the Scripture, and that illustrate for us just how great um, the salvation is that Jesus has accomplished for us, and just how multifaceted it is that it, that we're seeing it's like a diamond where there's many faces and it looks just slightly different if you just turn it a little bit and you turn it again a little bit and you see something new and you see another aspect of all that Jesus has accomplished for us. We're calling it the great exchange because that's the, the very heart of the gospel of Jesus is this idea of exchange. And we're seeing how humanity... Um, um, after God created us in perfect relationship with him in, in this harmonious um, state of flourishing, how when we rebelled against him, when we sinned against him, we made this horrible exchange. Where we, um, as Romans 1 says, we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We exchanged this relationship of, of beauty and, and harmony with, with a relationship of discord. We exchanged um, a, a life of, uh, of all that is good and all that is true and all that's beautiful for really a, a life that's fallen from that exalted place that God made us in. And so the, the story of humanity is really a, a, an outworking of that horrible exchange that took place. But the great exchange is when um, God came to undo all of that through the person of the Lord Jesus. That, that Jesus has come and that he has actually entered into the very depths of our fall. And he's come to, to take our place in that fall and to restore us back to that exalted place where, we, where, where God's, what God intended for us when he made us. That, that we're seeing that, that he's come and he's made a greater exchange. That while we have made this horrible exchange, he has made one even greater. That he has entered into the very depths of our fall. And we're, so what we're doing this spring is we're kind of just turning the diamond and looking at it from different, um, different ways. And, and today the exchange that we're seeing is, is that great exchange of home for exile. That great exchange of home for exile. So we're going to read Jeremiah chapter 31, a few verses from there. And I want you to pick up on some of that language of, of home and that return home out of exile. And, um, and we'll see how that theme really runs through the whole scripture. We're going to read uh, beginning of verse 10. Jeremiah 31, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it to the distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They'll be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. The maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning 
into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there's hope for the future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. We'll skip down to verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Jacob. Judah, I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and will write it on their minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of God. And so our world, the world in which we live, our world has been thinking a lot and has been uh, about what it means to be exiles, to be refugees, right? To be with, uh, without a home. We've been um, bombarded with images coming out of the Middle East of, uh, and Northern Africa of uh, men and women and children fleeing, fleeing their homeland in search of a new home, in search of a place of security and safety, in search of a place of belonging, in place of a place of stability. What does it mean to be in a place that's not safe? What does it mean to be in a place where you do not fit, where you do not belong, where you're not welcome? See, to, to be literally homeless, right, to be, to be without a home is incredibly dehumanizing. It's brutal. It's the most brutal experience you can have to be without a home. It's a brutalizing, dehumanizing experience. You see, in what, what I believe is that we cannot understand the human condition. We cannot understand the state of this world unless we understand this um, sense of alienation, this sense of homelessness that all of humanity has, experiences. That, that we all have this sense that we're living in a place that's not really our home. That's not really a, a place of, of belonging. It's not really a haven. It's not really a place where, where we're restored and renewed, where, where, where we are replenished. But we live in a place that is um, where we don't quite fit, where our resources are actually depleted instead of replenished. You see, philosophers psychologists like Freud or economists like Marx, political theories, they have all been attempting to understand and to explain and to fix this alienation, this sense of not belonging, of not being home. And really the story of the Bible agrees. 
The story of the Bible agrees with Karl Marx. The story of the Bible agrees with Freud that, that we're not home in this world, that we all do have this sense of alienation. Now, we do disagree with the sources and the solutions, certainly. Um, but, but the story of the Bible is certain that, that home is elusive for us, that home is elusive, that we're not home. And the story of the Bible is all about that journey back home. It's all about the journey back home. You know, um, if you trace the, the story of the scriptures, and as a church family, we take the scriptures very seriously. We believe they're God's message to us. Um, and as we, as we read it as one, as one story, as one connected whole, we, we, we see this theme of home all the way through. See, when God made us, when God created humanity, he made Adam and Eve, he, he placed them in a home. He placed them in a garden. A garden of Eden where um, it's called paradise, where, where everything was, um, was right and, and everything fit. And, and, and Adam and Eve were not being depleted. They were not being rejected. They were, not being, they were in a place of flourishing and wholeness, a place of belonging. But as, as humanity declared war on God, as we, as we fired the first shot, we, one of the effects of that fall was that God had to banish us out of the garden. We were evicted out of our home. And God, you may remember in Genesis chapter 3, in that, that account of the fall and the entrance of sin into the world, God banished them from the garden and said, you know, now you're going to have to work the ground. Now it's going to be toil and sweat and tears as you work. They, you know, before that, Adam and Eve were working the ground. They were, they were tending the garden. They were um, cultivating the garden, but now there's going to be thorns, and now there's going to be thistles, and now it's going to be now there's going to be frustrations at every level. And he says you have to leave Eden, you have to leave this place where you and I walk together in the cool of the day, and 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 to guard the way back to the tree of life. Remember, he placed an angel with a flashing sword, a flaming sword, flashing back and forth, guarding the way back to the tree of life, saying there is no return unless you go under the sword. So there's this banishment, this ejection from the garden. But, but as Genesis, as the first book of the Bible continues, we, we see um, God calling and, and begin to form a people for himself. And, and it begins with Abraham. And he, he calls Abraham and he, it says, Abraham, leave the place where you are. Leave your homeland and go to a place that I show you. And, and this place will be your home. And so we see Abraham picking up everything and moving his family to Canaan. This, to, to, to be in this land. But by the end of the book of Genesis, Abraham's descendants are enslaved in Egypt. They've left that promised land. They've left Canaan. And as we, we turn the page to the book of Exodus, we see that, that God's people are enduring generations of slavery and oppression and hard labor in Egypt. But God leads them out. Back to the land, right? Back to this land of flowing with milk and honey where all their needs are provided, this place of ref refreshment and replenishment, this place of home. So God's promise was, I'm going to lead you back home. And so they go through the Red Sea, you remember that, and they're going through the desert, and God's providing manna, and he's speaking to them on the mountain, and all, he's leading them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. 
but God's people won't quite enter in, right? They, they will not go in, and so they have to spend 40 years. And then when they do get in, they're under constant threat by their enemies. Home, just that the home is elusive. It's not totally realized. And as the Old Testament continues, we know that that kingdom of Israel gets broken up into the northern kingdom of ten tribes, and, and they reject God, and, and they're taken off. They're taken away out of the land in captivity by Assyria and, and scattered around the world. But the, the, lower, the, the southern kingdom, the two tribes, Judah, maybe there's hope for them. But no, they, they're rejecting God as well, and they're taken in captivity by Babylon. And so we have these great um, promises as, the, as God sends the prophets, like Jeremiah, like this passage that we read in Jeremiah 31 is God's promise to a people in exile, a people away from their home. And he's saying, I'm going to return you. I'm going to bring you back to home. I'm going to return you to your land and to your home. You're going to come back to a place of flourishing. You're going to come back to a place where your needs are provided, where you have the resources you need. You're coming home. You're coming home. But these prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are actually so much more than just these exiles returning from Babylon. They're they're speaking about so much more. Jeremiah 31 and in other passages, I'll read a few in a moment. They're they're speaking these enormous, extravagant promises that that aren't just fulfilled 70 years later as some exiles return from Babylon. These enormous claims and promises. Listen, for example, to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, um, verse 24. I will take you... Out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, from all nations, and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful. And I will Bring, I will not bring famine upon you. Right, This, this beautiful sense of, of home where your needs are provided, where, where, where it's, it's flourishing and, and, the, and the crops are plentiful and, and, and we're being replenished and we belong and we fit. I will, it says, you will loathe yourselves for your sins and um, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed, disgraced for your conduct, O host of Israel. He's calling them back into relationship, to repentance. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns. And the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land was laid waste, has become like the Garden of Eden. This land that laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. That didn't... Israel, I mean... They came back home, but it didn't become paradise. That these promises were not fulfilled ultimately with the return of Israel from Babylon. Isaiah chapter 35. Again, these are just a couple of examples of of all of these great prophecies, these great promises that God is making to his people. 
where, where he says, I'm going to bring you home and you'll experience true and lasting home. He says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocuses. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf, deaf will be unstopped. The, the lame will leap like a deer. The mute tongue shout for joy. The, the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And all sorrow and sighing will flee away. Where, where all that is evil and disease and, and, and sorrow, it's all going to be banished. And you'll be in a, in a place of home. Where, where you're not depleted. Where your resources are not depleted. But where you're replenished. Where your needs are met where you're welcomed, where you fit, where you belong again. These over-the-top promises that we were all made for a home that we've lost. We were made for a home, but we've lost it, and we're in exile. That's the story of the Bible. But the story of the Bible isn't only that we're, that we're homeless. He's, God's saying, I'm going to heal you of your exile. I'm going to return you to the home that I made you for. Um, a couple of months ago, I was flying um, out west, and I watched a movie on the plane called The Martian. Have you seen the movie? The Martian. It was actually better than I expected. Um, I didn't have high hopes, but there wasn't a whole lot of choice. But it's, um, it's a fascinating movie. I don't think it's, like, it's sci-fi, right? Sort of. Or futuristic. I don't know what the genre is. It's not science fiction. But, I mean, it's not possible, Right? Matt Damon isn't going to be living on Mars for any length of time. In, in fact, you know that uh, NASA is you know, doing this worldwide search, right, to send people to Mars. You've got to sign up, and people are applying to go to Mars, knowing that they'll never come home. But this whole idea of... Uh, so Matt Damon is, is, is stranded on Mars. Um, I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but, I mean, it's not a new one, so it's your fault if you haven't seen it. But... Matt Damon can't just step outside into the Martian atmosphere and fill up his lungs with air, right? Martian atmosphere is 1.5% oxygen. Our lungs were built to breathe in air of 20% oxygen, I think. We're not, we're not built for the atmosphere of Mars. You know, the Martian atmosphere wasn't built to grow potatoes for Matt Damon. And so he had to use some um, creative means of getting nutrients into the soil to grow his potatoes. That's all I'll say about that. It's, it, he was going a little crazy too, right? Psychologically and socially. He had no one to relate to except this computer, which he, could, he was be, trying to beam messages just in desperate hopes of, of, of that someone would be able to hear him and understand him and understand what he's going through. But he's isolated. He was isolated and he was going a little crazy. You see, if you're on the Martian atmosphere, if you're on Mars, you're going you're gonna to break down because you were not built for Mars. You weren't built for Mars. It's not home. Mars doesn't support you, right? It doesn't support who you are. You don't fit on Mars. See, when God made us, he put us in a home. 
at home where we are perfectly sustained. But we've lost home. We've lost home. You know, we may be on earth, but we're not home. Because if you're on Mars, yeah, you're going to die quickly. Here on earth, you're just going to die a little slowly, a little more slowly. We're not home. We're physically, we're not home. I'm experiencing that right now. I love spring and I hate spring. You know, I, I hate winter, right? We all hate winter, like the dead, cold, like no, nothing can survive in winter. Winter stinks, but spring for me stinks even worse because it makes me sick. I have these seasonal allergies. And so I'm looking forward to spring on some level, but I'm knowing that I have eight weeks of sickness coming. It's not home. This isn't home for me. It's this, this atmosphere is making me sick. It's depleting me of resources and energy and feelings of well-being. We are all going to die. Like it or not. We like, we like you know, um, our culture likes to, you know, pretend that death is great and natural. And it's the circle of life, right? The Lion King the circle of life. And so, yes, you lived and you're going to become fertilizer, but then, you know, that fertilizer is going to help something else grow and an animal will eat it. And then maybe something will eat that animal and then it'll die and it'll become fertilizer. And we have this beautiful circle of life where everyone that you have ever loved is going to become fertilizer. It's beautiful. It's the circle of life, right? Like, we try to think it's great. It's, it's horrible. We were made for love that lasts forever. And everyone and everything you have ever loved is going to become fertilizer. That's not happy news. All right, I don't know if you ever read our church. We have a church sign. And sometimes we put quotes on, on, the, um, on the one side of it. It's to get people to think. And um, we, we don't change it often enough because we forget. But... Um, right now it says, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. Someone actually, I was at the ball diamond coaching this week and someone came up and said, Hey, uh, church sign was kind of thought provoking. What happens when it's someone? Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. Don't let your happiness depend on someone you may lose. I said, same thing. We were made for love that was meant to last forever. And yet the truth of the matter is, is everyone that you love, you will either watch them become fertilizer or they will watch you become fertilizer. And that doesn't seem right to us. We were made for love that lasts forever. We were made for these loving relationships. We were not built for a place of disease and suffering and death. And so physically, we're not home. Socially, we're not home. Relationships take this tremendous amount of energy to maintain. How easy is it for relationships to go sour and south, right? We're always blaming other people. We always have to justify ourselves. We lie in our relationships, and then we have to like, remember, what did I tell them? And you're just constantly managing the relationship. 
psychologically, we're, we're not home. We're not at ease with who we are. Where can you be really who exactly you are with, without any level of self-consciousness? And just say exactly what it is you're feeling. Where can you do that? In what context can you really be yourself? And if you think you have a context where you can be 100% yourself all the time, you're lying to yourself. You don't. And so we naively try to mask our homelessness. Right? We say, well, if I could just have a great family, if I could just build a beautiful home, if it could have a, like a mountain view or a, a, a lake view, or if I could just have this great family or have this great home, then, then, I'd, be, then I'd be home. Then I'll fill this void. Well, they crumble and rot too. The homes and the families. And so we may, we're not to be naive, but we not, ought not be despondent either. C.S. Lewis wrote this to writing to a man who says that he hated this universe because of every, every, everyone and everything dies. He says, though being hungry does not prove I will get food, surely being hungry proves there's such a thing as food. You say the material universe is ugly and unjust. You don't like it. And if, but if you are just the product of a material universe, if that's all you are, why don't you feel at home in it? Do fish complain about the sea for being wet? We feel wet when we get into water because we're not aquatic creatures. Then why don't you feel at home here? The only possible explanation is real home is somewhere else. Real home is somewhere else. He said in another place, he says, C.S. Lewis, he said, If you find in yourself a desire that nothing in this universe can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that you were made for another world. Our home is not here. Our home isn't here. But we have a home. We have this great sense of home that we've lost. We have this memory of of home that we've lost. It doesn't mean that home doesn't exist. It means that home isn't here. So how do we return home? Well, we need to understand the reason that we're homeless. We need to understand that the reason that we were cast out is sin. The reason we've lost home is sin. John Stott said the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence of sin is thinking you can live without God. The essence of sin is the self-centeredness. And so by its very nature, sin alienates and isolates. It throws you out. It casts you out. Sin, like the Genesis 3 sin, is, is, is running from the God who wants to walk with you. Right? Adam and Eve were walking with God daily in the cool of the day, relating with him. Walking with someone is always a sign of friendship. We were friends with God. We were walking with him in the cool of the day. But after sin, God comes to walk with Adam and Eve, but they run from him and hide. They are alienating themselves. By its very nature, sin casts us out. Sin alienates us from God. It's the very essence of sin. Like I said, in a relationship, when you lie to someone, you're isolated from them. You have to protect the lie, right? You have to carry it on. Throughout the Bible, the punishment of sin is to be banished, to be exiled, to be cast out of home. 
So the Israelites, and they're in the desert and, and, and onward, God, God gave them a ritual where every year they would take a goat. And that's where we get the idea of being a scapegoat. And they would, they would, the, the priest would place his hands on the goat, thereby um, si- symbolizing the, the transfer of the guilt of, their, of Israel's sin to that goat. And then they would have to lead that goat out, out into the wilderness, out into isolation, out totally by itself, cast out of the camp. To, to die, the scapegoat. Throughout the Bible, the punishment of sin is to be banished, to be cast out. But as we know, the, the story of the Bible is that Jesus has come to do that greater exchange, to bring about the healing, to, be, be, to bring about the undoing of all that sin has brought. He's come to heal our exile, to bring us home. And so Jesus is God in the flesh, right? Jesus left his home in heaven. Heaven is his home. At the right hand of his father is his home. But he left and he was born. And right away, as he enters this world, he has to go into exile in Egypt because Herod is trying to kill him. And so Mary and Joseph have to flee as exiles, as refugees to Egypt. And Jesus, throughout his life, he's saying things like foxes have holes and Birds of the air have nests, but, the, but I have no place to lay my head. I am a wanderer without a home. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. The authorities wanted to kill him, and his friends were fairly dim-witted. He came as a homeless wanderer. And Hebrews 13 makes clear to us and wants to emphasize the point that when he was crucified, when he was killed, it was outside the city gates. He was cast out of the camp. He was cast out. He was like that goat. He was led outside of the city as our true scapegoat. He went into the ultimate exile. So on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My home is the right hand of my father, the right hand of favor and blessing and honor and power. It's at your right hand. And yet now I'm cast out of your presence. The father exiled him, exiled him so that we could be brought home. And then he says, just hours actually before the cross, he says in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go where? I'm going to the cross to prepare a place for you. In my father's home, house, there's many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place. I am going to the cross in order to prepare a place for you, in order to prepare a home for you. You see, we need a home. We need a beautiful home. We need a place. We need a family. But the reality is, is in this world, in this earth, the best home and the best families are but an echo of the home that we've been looking for. And the truth of the good news of Jesus is that Jesus has paid the mortgage on the palatial estate in the Father's house for you. And so the invitation this morning is to live your life at home. To live your life at home. Ezekiel promised um, that God would come and put a spirit in us. That he would come to live in us. That he would give us a heart of flesh. That the Holy Spirit would come and live in us. That this becomes, that, that he becomes what we want. And so we can visit our home often. Corporate worship like this is just a visiting of our future home. Prayer is just a visiting of our future home. Not the gimme, gimme kind of prayers, gimme this, gimme that, but the relating with God, interacting with God. 
You see, when you visit home, you'll be accepted. You'll be saying, this is the home that I've been looking for my whole life. This world is not your home. This world is not your home. But the story of the Bible ends this way, that it will be. This, this, this world is not your home, but one day it will be. Because the Revelation chapter 21, the last, last chapter in the scripture, we see the city of God, this Father's house of many rooms that Jesus has prepared a place for us by going to the cross. We see the city of God. And we don't see men and women rescued out of earth and brought to the city. We see the city coming down. And God is saying, behold, I'm making all things new. I'm renewing and restoring all things. You see, our home will come down. And he will rid this world of all disease and all death. So that we will be truly and forever home. And so the the call for you and I is to remember what our home is to remember where our home is. If you go to large cities, um, you'll often find in the parks a homeless population, right, that are making the parks their home. Parks are great places to visit. Spend a couple of hours in the park. But if you try to make it your home, They become foul. They can't bear the weight of home. They weren't built to be homes. And the same thing goes for everything in your life that we seek to build our home and to find our home in our houses, in our families, in our careers, to find that place of belonging and acceptance. All of those things in this world are not built for the weight of being your ultimate home. But when you look up and you see the Father who welcomes you into his family and welcomes you into his home, into the place of embrace and total radical acceptance through Christ, his Son, it frees you up so that you don't have to place the weight of of the full weight of home on your career. You don't have to place the full weight of being your home on your family. And you can hold those things a little more loosely.